Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This from the third chapter of the book of Daniel. For we are reduced, O Lord, beyond any other nation, brought low everywhere in the world this day because of our sins. We have in our day no prince, prophet, or leader, no offering, sacrifice, oblation, or incense, no place to offer first fruits to find favor with you. But with contrite heart and humble spirit, let us be received. So let our sacrifice be in your presence today as we follow you unreservedly. For those who trust in you cannot be put to shame. Twenty twenty was already a strange enough and difficult enough year before the death of George Floyd two weeks ago under the knee of a Minneapolis police officer. An act that shocked much of our country and for much of our country was not surprising at all. The job of a priest in offering a homily is not to give an op-ed piece. This is not my op-ed time. It's just to offer the Word of God for the world in need. So bear with me as I humbly and stumblingly attempt to do that. I've spent, maybe like you, much of this week just confused, trying to make sense of everything and often not able to do so. The three things that I have heard most consistently from God and in Scripture are what I'll offer you this morning. The first is that the world will not have peace until our hearts change. A video went around the internet this week of a Carmelite sister in her full habit somewhere in the Midwest, I think in Cincinnati. And she's in front of a boarded up building and when the video starts, it looks like she's already spray painted on one of the boards, God is love. And when the video starts, she's climbing a very tall ladder and she spray paints onto the billboard in about 10 seconds the words, The world will not change until hearts change. And she comes off down from the ladder and, like a classic Carmelite sister in her full habit, just hitches up this 20-foot ladder and walks off. The world will not change until our hearts change. Whatever you may think of protests, police, and the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. Make no mistake about this. Racism, the alienation or exclusion of other people because of their ethnicity or their origin or the color of their skin. Racism is a sin. 
And if there is any part of us that thinks that there are some people who should be able to live and some people whose lives are not worth that, whatever your preferred hot-button political issue is, if there is any part of us that think that there are people who do not deserve to live, that needs to be torn out of our hearts. The world will not change until our hearts change. The second thing that I haven't wanted to say, but that keeps coming to me in prayer, is that if our work for justice is not rooted in God and isn't God's work, it will fail. Part of me wonders is if what we're seeing now is in some ways the fruit of all of these policies we've created for decades with good intentions, but not with good fruit. The Psalms say, unless the Lord builds the house in vain does the builder labor. Unless the Lord watches over the city, in vain does the guard keep vigil. And the third thing that I've heard or tried to sense in prayer this week is that we desperately need the Trinity. We need God to pass before us, to go on a march in front of us like he did in front of Moses in that first reading. The Lord, the Lord, the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in kindness. We need him. The civil rights movement was born from Christianity. I reread yesterday Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It is really a masterpiece. And it's also an almost startling reminder that this heroic figure, Martin Luther King, did what he did in the context of being a preacher and a pastor of a church. Throughout the letter, which is maybe about seven or eight pages long, he cites these different intellectual figures to make his points. I did a little tally, and 11 out of the 14 of the people he cites are Christian figures. He cites the prophets and St. Paul, he cites St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas, the two greatest figures of the Catholic intellectual tradition. And he cites Jesus. The civil rights movement was born from the heart of Christianity, but Christianity is born from the heart of the Trinity. Before there were people, before there was conflict and an abuse of power, before there was violence, there were three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelling 
in complete love? When have you ever found three persons with no conflict between them? Only there. And because that love between those three persons existed before anything else, it can help us to look at things with respect to power, but power can't be the way we ultimately read the world because the world was made from and made for the love that happens in the heart of God. I spent part of the time this week uh, singing on Zoom Verdi's Requiem, which uh, I it was with a choir that I sang with in seminary, and the choir, almost all of the choir members, are in New York City right now, which, however strange your life is, wherever you are, it's stranger in New York City. And we just took this time to sing the second half of Verdi's Requiem together on Zoom, which is an, doesn't always work. It's a sort of imperfect project. But those words from the Requiem have stayed with me, and what I've asked uh, Marjorie and Kelly Rose, our cantor, to do is just to sing uh, some of those words from the second half of the movement of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Requiem. We shared a portion of this at our concert uh, on Wednesday. Our concert this coming Wednesday will be a concert for hope. And I think that these words, which are the words of the liturgy, the words of the Requiem Mass that the church has celebrated for over 1,500 years, can say a lot more and help a lot more than I can. Yeah. 